Great job today. Crisp, too. Man, you got a little fired up and started preaching a little bit there, didn't you? Wow, man. Maybe I just need to turn the Bible over to you and let you go, man. You're on a road. Well, you're not that excited, I guess. Grab your Bibles. We're going to be looking in just a moment in Job chapter number 18. We got several things going on, and I need you to listen very quickly today. Can you, are, are you good, quick listeners today? If you're not, you'll be here for a long, long time, okay? So uh, we, we've got so much to talk about. We are studying the life of Job. Uh, I don't think very many people in America are probably studying the life of Job right now, but that's where God led me. You know, we, we've got some struggles going on uh, in our nation. We've got some health challenges, but we have a lot of other kind of challenges as well. And so several weeks ago, God just led me and said, hey, take the church through the book of Job. And so we are inching along. And as we're doing so, one of the things that I promised that I would do as we walk through the book of Job is to try to help you see four or five of these key moments that are really the gripping moments in the whole book. And so with your Bibles today, I'm just going to give you several little references, and I want you to turn there. We're just going to do this quickly before we get into what we're going to be looking at today. Just kind of as a review. Big moments so far in the life of Job. Now, I mean, I think we've got the obvious. Here's Job. He's a blameless man. We know that does not stay sinless man, but he's a blameless man. He's extremely righteous. He'd be a real anchor in the Christian community. He's a, no doubt, a New Testament, well, New Testament church wasn't around then, was it? He was a God follower, 110%. And all of a sudden, we know behind the scenes is this test case between Satan and God. Satan uh, tries to have a little assault here on God, stating that, hey, a man, a woman, a young person, they won't serve God for nothing. Only reason people are following you, God, is because you'd put blessings in their life. You take those blessings away, those people will be gone before you can blink an eye. And so God says, hey, I'll tell you what, what about my servant Job? He'll, he'll be a good one to try that out on, your little hypothesis. And so we know behind the scenes, from a historical context, that's what's going on. And man, did Job get assaulted by Satan. He lost everything. Well, almost everything. He lost his fame. He lost his fortune. He lost his family. And we know he also lost his health. Job's friends have turned on him. His wife has asked him to, to turn away from the God that he loves and follows. And so just about everything that could go wrong in Job's life has gone wrong. And so through these first 15 or so chapters, there's been some key moments. Look with me, first of all, in chapter 2, verse 10. Just grab your Bible, chapter 2, verse 10. It's worth looking at as just kind of a reflection and a review. Big moments in the life of Job. This was a big moment. Read with me in Job chapter number 2 and verse 10. The Bible says his wife, this is Job's wife speaking to him, said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Are you still wanting to go up there to Oakland Heights Baptist Church, Job? Now, we've put 10 children, 10 children that I bore you into the ground. That big home that you built for us, that dude is, 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 is gone. When you and I used to take those 
pasture walks and we looked out at all the camels, all the oxen, all the livestock, and the servants at work, those beautiful ponds. When you and I used to take that walk, we don't take that walk anymore. And here you are with pus-filled sores all over your body. Job, honey, don't you think it's time to denounce this God? That's what his wife was trying to, the integrity that you have to follow him. And then look in verse number 10, one of the big key moments in the book of Job. Job replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Wow. What an incredible moment. Not just an incredible moment in the best of days, but an incredible moment when this guy, when many others would have already cratered under the pressure. I mean, let's take Job at his very worst moment, put him under a microscope, put him in the copy of God's holy word in the canon of scripture so we all can gawk and gaze in his terrible misery. And what does Job say? The Bible goes on in verse 10 to say in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Wow. Big moment. Turn quickly over to the ninth chapter, verse 33. I want you to see this second substantial moment in the life of Job. Chapter 9 and verse number 33. We studied this several weeks ago. What, three weeks ago? Two weeks ago? This moment when Job came to a spiritual understanding that, you know what, even though I believe wholeheartedly in my God, there's a big difference between me and who God is. And how far Job had fallen, Job was at the place that he began to reflect on something very important. Let's, let's reread it together. Job chapter 9, verse 33 and following. If only there was someone to mediate among us. Remember that word? Umpire, a go-between, a mediator. Someone to bring us together. He's understanding, hey, there's a big challenge here. A holy, perfect God, and here I am, a sinful man, in really a horrible situation. Man, I'm a long, long way. There's a big chasm. There's a big gap. There's a big span, and I don't know how, how really to cross over that span. Now, you and I have the luxury of having the whole counsel of God, the Old and New Testament. We know there was one that came to bridge that. He came to live in physical flesh, the incarnate Jesus. But at this moment, Job didn't know that. And so he was asking in his heart of hearts, reaching out to God, God, is there someone that can bridge this gap? Look in verse 34, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Look in verse 35, then I would speak up without fear of him, but as it stands with me, I cannot. What a key moment. One of the big moments in the book of Job. This is one of the big ones, one of the big five. Job coming to understand that spiritually he could not do it out of his very works. Job couldn't do it in his own flesh. He began to understand and see clearly, and man, do we so often see really, really clear, clear in those moments of devastation when God has our full attention. So very few times does God have our full attention. It's always something, isn't there? Always a distraction, a mask, a hunger, a sleep, 
There's always some kind of distraction. But boy, God had Job's full attention. And Job says, I'm starting to recognize. Now quickly, Job chapter 13. Job chapter number 13. We came to this big moment last week. The third of these big life-changing moments in the book of Job. Job chapter 13, and beginning in verse 15. Job cried out in response to his friends, stating these words. Job chapter 13 and verse 15. He came to that point that even if God was going to take his life, look at what it says, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. It's his, in essence, Job is saying, I'm going to ha- I believe in the righteousness of my God. God sees that even though I haven't lived a perfect, sinless life, I've been a man of righteousness after him. Even in those missteps, I've asked forgiveness of those sins. And I've done all I could to be faithful in following my holy God. And God knows this. In the end, whatever's going on here has got to be straightened out by this God. And then it brought Job to ask the question. You remember it? Job chapter 14. Turn a page or so over. Job chapter 14 and verse 14. Here's where we ended last week. Job says, if someone dies... God, could you just, could someone, you friends are basically worthless to me, so I guess I'll just have to ask God, God, if someone does die, shall they live again? Will they live again? He went on to say in Job 14, 14, all the days of my hard service, and I will wait for renewal to come. You see, a third crucial moment Job believing that there's now something to come after this life that he feels. We know Job feels like he's about to die. He believes, hey, I'm not going to be here much longer. This, this is the end. This infection, I mean, this thing is not going to end well. And so Job now begins to look to his future somewhere out there in eternity. And he begins to look inside and he begins to, began to search spiritually. And God brought him to this point of answering that question. But not in this chapter. But he will. Now today, grab your Bibles. Job chapter number 18. And today I want us to take an additional step with Job. Another one of those big high water marks. I love these moments. Remember what we're looking at, dialogue. It's like a ping pong match. His three friends fire away. Boom, boom, boom. They serve it over the net. Job takes all three. He listens. And then one by one, Job begins to respond. When you come to chapter number 18, you see in the text in verse 1 that Bildad is speaking. And just as we did last week, I just want to give you a flavor of what Bildad is saying. I want to remind you that Bildad, again, is speaking out of a life of tradition and history. He has one premise and one premise only. God is going to punish the wicked. And so Job, obviously, God wouldn't take in your ten children unless you have some hidden sin. Fess up, confess, and maybe God will forgive you. And you're deserving a lot worse than God's given you. How do you like those big sores all over your body, Job? You want to get rid of those? It's time for you to have a time of confession before God. You need to go. You need to make sacrifice and atonement for this wickedness in your heart. And Job is saying, man, I'm just righteous for God's heart. And in the midst of this, listen to just 
some flavor here in chapter number 18. Grab your Bibles and let's read together. Verses number one and two, then Bildad, the Shuite, he replied, when will you end these speeches? Be sensible. And then we can talk. You know, it's interesting as Bildad begins to fire away once again, he just comes right to the point. You'll notice as you walk through the book of Job, these criticisms get harsher and harsher and harsher as they go along. These friends are tough. We talked last week about the fact the big missing element here is compassion. Why don't they have more compassion for Job? Look down in verse number four. Bildad says, you who tear yourself to pieces in your anger is the earth to be abandoned for your sake? Or must the rocks be moved from this place? And then look at these comparisons that Bildad begins to level. Verse 5, the lamp of a wicked man is snuffed out. Job, your life is just like a lamp. As you light that wick, it's about to be snuffed out. He went on to say in verse 5, the, the flame of the fire stops burning. Look down in verse 7 at another picture, another symbol that he gives to Job. The vigor of his step is weakened. His own schemes throw him down. Look in verse 11. Terrors startled him on every side and dog him at his every step. Just like a criminal, you're always going to be fearful running from God, Job. What you've done, the sin that you're trying to conceal and hide, God is hunting you and you're on the run and every corner you look around, you're going to look and see if God's going to be there. Just like a criminal pursued. Look down in verse 14. He is torn from the security of his tent and marched off to the king of terrors. Look at this next picture in verse 16. His roots dry up below. It's not the foliage that dies first, but for you, Job, it's the internal element of the sin that's in your heart. You're dying from the roots up, from the inside out, not from the outside in. You're dying inside. He says, and this branches then wither above. Verse 17, the memory of him perishes from the earth. Job, in the end, people aren't going to remember who you are. They're not even going to remember you. They're going to put some marker out there. And in a few years, somebody's going to come by and say, hey, who is this Job guy? Job, do you understand that your life is meaningless? He went on in verse 17 to say he has no name in the land. Look in verse 18. He's driven from the light into the realm of darkness and is banished from the world. Wow. And look how harsh it gets in verse 19. He has no offspring. Boy, you talk about low. Job, let me just remind you, a few weeks and months passed. Has it been that long since you've been over to the cemetery? You remember putting each one of those children in the ground, don't you? They're all gone now. There's no one to follow you. This big name, this big legacy, Job, you have nothing coming after you. He says, or descendants among his people. Look at the end of verse 9. No survivor where once he lived. Do you have a flavor of this? 
I mean, man, this is as bad as it gets. Now, what I want you to do with me in chapter 19, and that's all we'll have time to look at in this really remaining few moments that we have, I want you to notice some things about Job's response. Will you hear my heart for just a moment? There's so many ways to study the book of Job. This is probably my 10th or 11th time to take groups through the book of Job. But what I wanted us to hear in particular fashion as we walk through the book of Job in these days in America that we're living in, I wanted us to see the response of Job in these days of misery. This mystery of misery. We've asked some of the same questions recently. Lord, why, why, are, we, why are we being afflicted? What's the reason for this? There's got to be some reason. Some would offer conjecture of all kinds of things. We don't need to get into all that speculation this morning. But the challenge that we have of the asking the question, why? I just want you to look quickly with me. Job has some responses. I would just suggest to you in chapter 19, we see immediately, number one, that Job is crushed. Job is absolutely crushed. Look in verse number one. Then Job replied, look in verse two, how long will you torment me? And look at this next statement, and crush me with words. About three weeks ago, someone called me on the phone, not from our church, but from one of our former ministries, and said, Pastor, we know you're not our pastor anymore, but I have a granddaughter, this lady said, and she is being bullied and picked on unmercifully. And she began to kind of unfold all the things that she was told from her granddaughter that were going on. Now, you and I both know a number of things here. Number one, this is just what she was told. Now, this is a third-hand story that's drifted to her former pastor through a grandmother. And, and so you've got to take that part with what it is. But as she was sharing, what stood out to me was the heart of her call how much she loved her granddaughter and how much she hated going through this. And when we hung up, I just uh, stopped to reflect. You and I learned a little something at a very young age. Let's say it together. Sticks and stones. Go ahead and finish it for me. Sticks and stones. But we found out that's not true. Sticks and stones may break our bones, but words so often hurt us. And that's why our Bible speaks so much of you and I as followers of Christ being on guard about our language and our speech. Building up, wholesome, all of those kind of adjectives. Things that encourage, not tear down. And we begin to see as we look at this response... First of all, just a very simple concept. I just want you to be mindful. Job is absolutely crushed. But Job is also feels like he's caught. He, feel like, he feels like he's trapped. Look in verse number five. He went on to say this. 
in his response. If indeed you will exalt yourselves above me and use my humiliation against me. Man, can you just imagine that wound that's still open from what Bildad said? Hey, how long has it been since you've been over to the cemetery to see those ten graves? How bad that must have hurt him. The continual barrage that you have concealed sin. This whole thing's happening because of your unrighteousness. And nothing was further from the truth. Went on to say in his response in verse 6, that know that God has wronged me and drawn his net around me. Again, how's he feeling? He's feeling trapped like an animal. Look in verse 7. He says, though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there's no justice. He's now kind of speaking out of the symbolism that Bildad has mentioned earlier in chapter 18. You're like a criminal on the run, always looking. The officers will always be pursuing you. They're going to catch you one day, Job. And he's firing back by simply saying, using that picture of a falsely accused criminal. Look in verse 8. He went on to say, he has blocked my way so I cannot pass. He shrouded my paths in darkness. Verse 9, Job says, he has stripped me of my honor and removed the crown from my head. Now he's kind of getting the symbolism of a king here. He's taken away everything, everything that I have. Look in verse number 10. He tears, he tears me down on every, he tears me down on every side till I am gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. Wherever you heard this symbolism before. Job is taking every charge that Bildad gave and he's responding to it. Verse 12, his troops advance in, fo in force. They build a siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. It's like you're hitting me with your heavy artillery and I, I'm just nothing more than a tent. Now as we begin to read verse 13, I don't know if you write in your Bibles, but after looking at the book of Job for many years, I believe this is Job and I've written it in my Bible, I believe this is Job's lowest point in all of God's Word recorded about the study of Job. I believe we're going to go into the very depths in these next few verses. I don't believe it's going to get any worse. This is the lowest of the low. Listen to Job's heart. I want you to hear it. Verse 13, he has alienated my family from me. Do you hear Job's heartbreak? My acquaintances, those people that we knew are completely estranged from me. My own people that have known me for years, they'll have nothing to do with us. Look in verse number 14. My relatives, my cousins, my nieces, my nephews. The Bible says they've all gone away. My closest friends have forgotten me. Man, if these three friends are Job's friends that we've been watching ping pong back and forth with their remarks, man, with friends like those, who needs? Yeah, absolutely. Verse 15, my guest and my female servants count me a foreigner. They look on me as a stranger. Gosh, those that have served me for years 
He says, I'm but a stranger. Look in verse 16. I summon my servant, but he does not answer. Though I beg him with my own mouth. Wow. My servants won't even help me. Look in verse 17. My breath is offensive to my wife. I'm loathsome to my own family. My health condition is such now. It doesn't matter when and how I try to bathe. I, the, the stench of this rotten flesh. And even those that love me are repulsed to be around me. Man, do you hear his heart and how he is broken? Look in verse number 18. Even the little boys... Even the little street urchins, even these orphans that used to run around and have great respect because they knew I could offer them something financially, and they just had general respect for me as well. Now, what do they do? They mock me, he says. They ridicule me. You see that in verse number 18? All of my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me in verse 19. Folks, it doesn't get, it doesn't get any worse than this. My closest friends. We could stop here and ask the question, how many really, really great friends do you have? We've talked about this before. Psychologists, sociologists would suggest probably you could list those on one hand of people that will stay in your life when all others walk away. Not nearly as many friends as you think you have today. Not true friends. The Bible goes on to say, look at this in verse 21, have pity on me. My friends, have pity. For the hand of God has struck me. Job, he is crushed. Job, he's caught. But all of a sudden, in one of the great moments in this book, everything begins to turn. You see this very seldom in Scripture. Usually a life that's going down this path, we would say, hey, this is not going to end well. Job's not going to be long for this world. He's now not only lost his physical health, but emotionally he's checked out. There's really nothing left in the tank. He's done forking. It's all over. But somehow, with his life hanging by a thread, I want you to see a third response in this 19th chapter. And here is this key moment. We would put this as in a fourth key moment, three that we've already mentioned at the beginning of our message today. Here is this key moment in verse number 23. Listen, we know something big's coming because hear the 23rd verse. Oh, that my words were recorded so that they were written on a scroll. Job is about to share something now that he says, I, I hope this is not forgotten. I hope this will be carved in stone. I hope this will be placed on a scroll in some library where people can read it. I'm about to say something that is very deeply important to me, and I think it will, will speak into other lives of those that are suffering, those that are miserable, those that are having a tough time. And I would just suggest to you that even though at this moment we know Job is crushed and we know he's caught, I would also suggest to you that I believe Job is still confident. He's still confident. 
And there's the message that I want you to hear. It's a message for Oakland Heights Baptist Church. We've got to get up on the, off, off the mat. It's a message for America. We've got to get up off the mat. It's a message of confidence and hope that's needed in all of our lives. So here are Job's words. I want you to hear them. They're remarkable. Verse 24. He says, I, want, I just wish these words were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. And then he unleashes some of the great words in all the Bible. Listen to him in verse 25. I know that my Redeemer liveth, King James, NIV. I know my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he will stand on earth. Let me tell you something. Job understood he had a sense of confidence in personal redemption. Look at those words again. I know my Redeemer lives. He believes in personal redemption. Then in verse 26, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. We know that he still believes in what? A literal resurrection. There's going to be a day and time that even after my worms eat this flesh, that I'm going to see God physically once again. We're hearing a glimmer of hope and encouragement. But look, in verse 26 or in verse 27, I myself will see him. With my own eyes, I am not another. By the way, wish we had more time this morning. You're not listening fast enough. That word another means stranger in the Hebrew language. What Job is recognizing there is, I'm not going to see. It's, it's the great story of heaven in our Bibles. That it's not going to be so much as the song I can only imagine says, we're going to see Matthew and John and all these other individuals. But when we see Jesus... When we see the Redeemer himself, that's what we look forward to. Not a stranger, nor will I be a stranger when he sees me. But this incredible moment, he says, and look at the end of verse 27, how my heart yearns. Within me, I yearn for that moment. One of the things that I often share at memorial services, and I believe it with all my heart, I believe that those that live long enough come to the place that there's really so much on the other side that's waiting on them, they have more over there than they do here. And was Job getting to that moment? I can be reunited with my children. There's so many things that are waiting for me that Job acknowledges all of these important elements in his life. Now, I'm going to encourage you to find something to write with because I just want to close with something that has helped me in my life dramatically. And so if you've got anything to write with this morning, I would encourage you to grab something. A few years ago, you'll remember, for you that were here at that time in our church, I preached a series on stuff. You know, that was that moment when I counted my shirts and I had 264 shirts and I said, who in the... What will I ever need with 264 shirts? And a number of people in the congregation, <laughs> a 
that's so funny. And then you went home and counted. And I think Bill Slack had 309. Just, just kidding you, Bill. But the word stuff has kind of been one of my key components. And so today, if you'll just allow me to take this concept of stuff, and I use that word today in connection with the stuff that happens to us in our lives. You walk out here, you take your mask off after church, you put the key in your ignition, or you hit the button in this day and time, and it goes and starts clicking. Stuff happens. I mean, to our knowledge, no one at least has reported corona in the church at this point. COVID. Oh, I'm sorry, maybe one. Someone, a couple people get it and they say out of 1,683 members, it had to be the three of us. Stuff happens. And so I just want to toss out to you four laws about stuff. Four laws that are life changers. First of all, jot this down. Stuff happens in every life. Stuff happens in every life. You know what's kind of amazing to me about the story of Job and those friends as they're squared off there with each other? is I think if we're not careful, those three friends barraging these issues at Job of what's happened and why and Job in response it almost makes us feel like hey the whole world has stopped no one else is having any problems in this moment only Job is the only one that's having stuff go on in his life our Bibles they're filled with incredible stories of beginning to the end you think about the life of Joseph from the very time he was born, it's chronicled that his dad, Jacob, was continually what, pampering him, pampering him. He was a spoiled little brat, coat of colors, thrown into the pit, accused of rape, all imprisoned. All kinds of things happened to him. We're able to watch the stuff in his life unfold. Abram, Abraham, we're able to see so much of his life. But there are others that come along in our Bible that we only have one moment or segment of their life. Think about Jonah. What do you know really about Jonah? He got spit out of a fish's mouth. Well, what about his boyhood? Don't know. What about the aftermath of this prophecy, the prophet Jonah? What, what happened to him in the aftermath? We don't know. And so in many times out of our Bible, we begin to think, you, you, you know what? A lot of people just have one big thing that happens to them in their life, the widow name. We know two things about her. Her husband has, has died, he's expired, and now her son is dead. They're on the way to the cemetery. The Lord touches the very pallet that he's on, headed to the cemetery. We, I mean, we know the burial's at least four to five days. I mean, this, I mean, I mean, this is, I mean, this dude's been dead a while. This young adolescent boy, her son has been dead a while. We don't know what happened to her before. We don't know what happened to her after. All we know is she had that moment of some stuff in her life. Maybe we make the assumption she didn't have any stuff the rest of her life. And what I would suggest to you is this, you and I have got to get out of that thinking. 
There is stuff that happens in our lives almost in a continuous plane. And in the heat of battle, you and I somehow shut down, stop processing this truth that you know what? Everyone is dealing with their own stuff. Have you stopped to listen and look carefully what's happening in your neighbor's house around you? There's stuff happening. Their car breaks down too. They get sick too. They have financial challenges as well. Number two, it's important when we're talking about the laws of stuff, not just to understand that stuff happens in every life, there's the key word, but number two, we must view stuff holistically, the good and the bad. I mentioned a moment ago, Job's that key moment. You remember what he said? Hey, honey, hey, wifey, are we going to take God's blessings and honor him and serve him in those moments, but not be willing to put up with the challenges of life, the hard times of life, those moments when stuff is not good, but it's bad, in those moments it's not enjoyable, but it's despised, in those more moments that it's not a blessing, but it seems like it's a curse. And what I would suggest to you is this, you and I, in the heat of battle, when stuff happens you and I've got to come to that place where we understand hey I'm gonna I'm somehow gonna pull it together here and get a holistic picture of even though I'm hurting and even though I'm in the midst of this firestorm I'm gonna stop for a moment and understand hey there's a whole lot of life that's going on I hope there'll be a whole lot of life that will continue but you know what God's been doing a lot of stuff some good stuff and some maybe some things that have happened to me as well that aren't so good but you know what I'm gonna love him and I'm honor him in the midst of that all the time. On my prayer list this morning, I just, I mean, I'll give you a, a preview. Most in our church, but not all. Former children's pastor with us in Albuquerque is going to have a kidney taken out that's cancerous on Wednesday. Prayed about that this morning. Prayed about prostate cancer, one of our members. Prayed about four of our members that have lost their jobs. Prayed about two of our families that are really struggling with infertility. The families just tore, they're, they're just torn to pieces. They're getting to the point, these two couples are, they've tried, they tried, they tried. And you know the biggest challenge is we in the church don't know how to reproach them. So we isolate them. We don't come up and show them the picture of our kids and grandkids anymore because we think, oh gosh, they don't need to see that. I prayed this morning for those families, for Gary Mason with a liver transplant two days ago, his second liver transplant. I prayed for two relocations. One family that's so excited about, about to be rejoining us and another family that's about to move and a lady in that home that's heartbroken. This is my home. I'll go willingly, but I don't like it. I pray today for four people in our church that have aging parents and that some of the big challenges that they're facing right now. Pray for three marriages. 
But you know, in each one of those prayer requests today, in each one of those moments that I spent in prayer for those issues and those individuals and those hearts that were involved in that, I do understand holistically, you know what? There's a whole lot of stuff going on in their lives. There's more than just a couple families going through infertility. You know, infertility. They've got some other stuff going on in their life too. Number three, just shot it down quickly. And we'll close these last two items. Remember, our God has total authority over stuff. Our God has total authority over stuff. Now, I'm not going to get into this sovereignty debate with you today other than to say, I do believe God is sovereign. Do you raise your hand if you believe God's sovereign? Can, can I see your hands? But you, you, you know as well as I, I, I'm not going to spend two hours debating this. There are certain things that I believe, and I would think you would too, by the preponderance of the Scripture, certain things that God, He's aware, but He doesn't immediately intervene. So it's those moments when we pray and God says yes. It's those moments when we pray and God says no. And it's that third category that's the, really the challenge when God says, hey, not right now. when we don't hear an immediate response, not right now. But understanding that, you know what? Job is in God's hands. Job is under the sovereignty of his God. I don't know what you're going through today, but man, if we don't get anything else about the laws of stuff, but this, this law is to me the greatest. Our God has total authority over stuff. And number four, jot this down, the fourth law of stuff. Stuff often leads to greater things and greater blessings. When stuff happens in our lives, so often, now did the pastor say always, every time? No, the pastor said often. It's not unusual when we walk through stuff in our lives, especially the hard stuff, that God has something so much greater for us with such great blessing. You and I know how this story of Job's going to turn out. And you already know what I'm going to pull out of the holster in the last message in this series. You already know it's coming. Well, Pastor... Everything was doubled in Job's life. You get to that last chapter, double the camels, double the livestock, double everything, double the well. But when it comes to his kids, he only got 10 kids in return. And you know, time and time again, people fire. See there, those 10 kids in the ground, they're lost. And I'm going to remind you again that nothing that goes to heaven is lost. Job and his wife still had 20 children. 10 of them currently here on earth and 10 of them waiting on them in heaven. But those children were doubled. And so often, when we go through difficult days, God has something greater in terms of a thing or a blessing that's waiting for us. just want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for you that are watching remotely today. Man, we've got a lot of stuff going on in our lives, in our church, in our country. But I want to encourage you. Out of this tombstone and this dust concept that we see in chapters 18 and 19, it says something to us today. Get up off the mat. Everybody's got some stuff. Brazil's got some stuff. Russia's got some stuff. 
Europe's got some stuff. We got to get up off the mat. God's not done with us. Mask or not, God can do great things with his people. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, I just want to thank you for these moments that we've had in your word. Man, you are a great and awesome God. And Father, I just thank you for that we were able to take a, a little peep into a window several thousand years ago of the interaction between Bildad, the Shuhite, and Job, the righteous man of God. Thank you for the lessons. Thank you for the applicable material. Thank you for these moments that you've allowed us in your word. Father, I just pray that you would take the word now that has been implanted in our hearts, apply it to whatever we may be facing in our lives. Father, I pray today with everything in me that your Holy Spirit will use the fallibility of this stuttering, fat, bald-headed communicator today and that you will supersede all the many problems in my own life and use the power of your word to accomplish what you desire. Father, in each one of our prayer lists today, we have names of those around us that are hurting. And Father, today we place our own names in that list. None of us are exempt from the stuff that happens to us in this old world. Heartbreak of relationships, business failures, moments when we become so discouraged. And today in what I believe are some of the lowest moments in Job's existence, we were able to see him somehow, some way crawl back up off the mat being knocked down and devastated and Father I just pray that whatever hardships that we may be enduring, whatever difficulties that we're walking through that you will use his life we're thankful that it's etched in stone those words I believe that my redeemer liveth Father, you have recorded these words in something much more permanent than stone. You recorded them in your word to be resounding words in men and women's hearts through all the generations. Father, we love you and we worship you. And as we continue that time of worship today, that you would go with us from this place and allow us to be the light in this world that we are called to be. These things we pray in Jesus' name.